0: Welcome, everyone, to another special bonus patron-curated episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. You know what this is. This is where I uh, ask patrons of the show to send in their picks for a specific theme, uh, and then we make a show out of it. And the theme this time was that instrumental song, Got Me High. These are all instrumental songs. I opened the show, uh, if you heard, with three songs that were, at one point, my picks, uh, we had Waltz in Black by The Stranglers, uh, Jessica by The Almond Brothers, and Fun to Be Happy by Love Tractor. At one point, each of those was going to be my pick, but as I have the luxury of doing, because it's my podcast, uh, I changed direction with my pick at the last minute, and you could hear what I finally ended up with at the end of the show. Uh, once again, just a reminder, if you'd like to participate in these Super fun episodes. They're fun, right? Yeah, they are. They're really fun. Uh, it's simple. You, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh. And for as little as $2 a month, you could become a patron of the show. And you could start participating in these episodes like uh, our patrons coming up did. I'll give my little comments before each of them as uh, as I want to do because people said they like that for some reason. I don't know. Would you like to hear my voice more? Well, you know, who, who am I to say? Who am I to argue with the patrons? So let's start it out. Uh, this is uh, we're going to start with one of our newer patrons, Canadian documentary filmmaker Alan Zweig. Uh, he chose, not surprisingly, uh, music from a film and spoiler alert it's pretty groovy hi this is alan from toronto
1: and my selection for the instrumental that got me high comes from a little subgenre which drove me crazy back when it was made but with which i became somewhat obsessed 30 years later i was a teenager in the 60s and of course there was rock music on our radio stations but otherwise the whole entertainment landscape tv movies were still dominated by my parents' generation. And they drove us crazy with their lame music and as they made fun of rock and roll, which they thought was a fad that would fade away. But in the late 60s, movie producers felt like they had to respond to the rock and roll hippie era by having a scene with a hippie where the characters go to a disco or they go to a rock club or they visit Aide Ashbury. And rather than getting a rock band to score it, even if the scene featured a rock band on stage, the directors would ask their composers, who could, you could pretty well bet, look down on rock and roll themselves, to score these scenes with their version of rock music. Of course, as a kid, this was the bane of my existence. But 30 years later, in the 90s, a lot of people were kind of reconsidering the easy listening and instrumental music of the 60s. There was this lounge revival, and I started finding all these old records cheaply at thrift stores where they were being dumped. And eventually, those fake hippie cuts turned into a bit of an obsession. The cut that probably started for me came from a pretty big film from 1967, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, in which a white girl played by someone actually never heard from again brings her black boyfriend, Sidney Poitier, to dinner to meet her liberal parents, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. And for some reason, they have this scene where they get a delivery of what I forget, and for what reason, I forget. And it's 1967, so they make the delivery person a funny hippie, though I kinda remember him more as a movie beatnik. And then they give the job to the film's composer, Frank Duvall, who did the themes to My Three Sons and the Brady Bunch, and if you ever saw the show Fernwood Tonight, he actually played the band leader, Happy Kind he gets his chance to give this delivery man a little bit of hippie beatnik music. It's not exactly rock and roll, but I think it has a nice groove, and Rob, I hope you play it through to the part that really got me eye, the break where the sitars and other Eastern instruments rock out in a manner befitting 1967, the summer of love. So I give you the aptly titled Groovy Delivery Boy. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Alan. And uh, now we have the first of two King Crimson picks. We had two different patrons pick a different King Crimson songs. So, of course, they're both loud. And we're going to start out with this one. Uh, let's see what David Lewis has to bring to the table.
2: Hello. Uh, this is David Lewis uh, from Elizabeth's Records. And you know me from the uh, Fleetwood Mac Future Games episode. Uh, I'm calling about my favorite instrumental. I have a lot of favorite instrumentals, uh, mostly by Can or but especially by King Crimson. And I, I have a lot of favorites by King Crimson, but probably my biggest favorite of them all is the song Fracture. And the, the song Fracture is a live recording uh, edited without crowd noise. Uh, it's like an 11 and a half minute song. And it, it starts from kind of like a minimal kind of approach to it. And at 8.26, uh, the band is cooking so hard that John Letton lets out this yelp. It's like, and every time I hear it, it just makes me feel so damn happy. It's just the sound of a band really like cranking me. Uh, connecting and running on all cylinders, and one of the rare moments that's not a jazz record where it just seems like everybody's at the top of their powers. Um, so, yeah, Fracture off of uh, Starless and Bible Black. Uh, that's my favorite instrumental. <laughs>
0: I uh, hope you appreciate that I did. Uh, made sure that I started. Uh, once you were done uh, with your intro, that I put the whoop in there, uh, <laughs> that you had mentioned. So, uh, hope you appreciate that. Now we have our friend and patron, Gary Messick. Uh he brings us a beautiful piece of music and he has a really hard time uh trying to pronounce a German city which I don't know why he didn't just use the American pronunciation but I guess that's not you know he was trying to be fancy and uh it's pretty funny but uh take it away Gary.
3: Hi, I'm Gary Messick and the instrumental I've chosen is a piano improvisation by Keith Jarrett. Uh Jarrett got his start playing with Art Blakey and Miles Davis but started playing solo and with his own bands in the early 70s. He's known mainly as a jazz musician, but he's also released classical records, uh, a lot of J.S. Bach, plus several albums of standards, and even a singer-songwriter album, which I've listened to and uh, I cannot recommend. Uh, And he must have known it wasn't his forte either, because he never made another record like that again. Uh, which was a smart move. Uh, Jarrett is best known for his many solo piano improvisation albums. His improvisations can't really be described as straight up jazz, though, because they often incorporate elements of folk music, classical, and gospel music. Easily, his most popular piano improvisation album is the Köln Concert. That is awfully difficult to say. Uh, that's the uh, uh, what the, the city that we call Cologne, uh, K- Köln, Köln, Köln. I, I forget it. Recorded in, he was recorded in 1975 at the Opera House in Köln, Germany. Uh, and uh, the track I've chosen comes from that album. It has no title and is only identified as Part 2C. It's very melodic and structured and song like to the point that it's hard to believe Jared hadn't already composed it before playing it, but who knows? He's an unusually gifted musician, and maybe it really did just emerge spontaneously, but it's mind boggling to think that he may have been hearing this beautiful tune for the first time as he played it, just like the concert audience. Whatever its origin, this is one of the most hauntingly gorgeous pieces of music I've ever heard. So here's a portion of Part 2C from The Kern Concert by Keith Cherry.
0: Warned uh, some people uh, when they heard we were doing this instrumental episode. They warned, "Well, you know, you're probably going to get a lot of jazz." And I, I know people think uh, I, it's not like I'm I'm like triggered by jazz or. Hey, just I've mentioned before that I'm not you know I'm not a huge fan of jazz I just never was I never felt like I got it but I will be honest the more the more and more different people expose me to different things maybe I don't know I still probably don't like it but uh, I might be coming around a little I, I don't hate I don't really hate anything you know as I as I get older I don't think I hate things there's just some things you like more than others right all right like uh, this next patron I like her Marsha Potts uh, and she brings us a really cool song And I think Marsha's actually cooler. She lets off in this that she's not that cool, but I think Marsha's pretty cool, actually. So so let's listen to what uh, Marsha Potts has to say.
4: Hey, Rob, it's Marsha in Central Florida, and that instrumental song that gets me high is La Femme d'Argent by Air. And the reason this song gets me high is because this song is so very, very cool that you can't help but feel infinitely cooler when you're listening to it. So I find this song works for every mood and scenario there is because it takes the most mundane tasks and makes them exciting. So for example, if I'm listening to this song and I'm shopping for shoes, it makes me feel like I'm shopping for shoes at a specialty boutique in Paris as opposed to a TJ Maxx in Orlando. So if you want to feel cool, if you want to be cool, go and listen to La Femme d'Argent by Air.
0: All right, now we have Russell Mofsky. Russell Mofsky recently was here uh, recording his uh, The Police Ghost in the Machine episode. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Well, Russell, uh, I always said, Russell, why don't you participate in these? Yeah, he said, because I'm kind of lazy to record myself, to send in. I don't do it. So he was here. I said, well, why don't you just do it? So he recorded his little, uh, his quick little intro. He did it right here when we did our episode. So take it away, Russell. Hey everybody, this is Russell Mofsky and for my instrumental song, I'm going with Brendan Number 1 by Fugazi. This is track 3 off the Repeater album. This is everything.
5: Enjoy.
0: much russell and now we have patron and creator of the that record got me high logo woody compton woody compton brings us uh woody always comes up with badass picks and this is no exception so let's hear what woody has to say
6: hi this is woody compton of is this tomorrow from gainesville florida adding my two cents to another patreon curated episode i love instrumental music I often hear a band and they are doing something pretty cool until the singer drops in and screws everything up. Many singers can certainly be annoying and cause me not to appreciate an otherwise good band or a good song. And I'm sure most everyone has a singer that drives them up the wall. For example, I can't stand metal bands who are fronted by castrated wannabe opera singers. But an instrumental track can be free from these annoyances and also free up the other instruments to carry the hook of the song. Without having to leave room for a vocalist, the other instruments can stretch out and get more freedom. Even a band with a great vocalist can still have an amazing instrumental. Elizabeth Fraser might be my favorite vocalist of all time, but the instrumental Rococo is my favorite or close to one of my favorite Cocteau Twins songs. Surf music is almost always instrumental, and that makes this particular episode a real challenge for me. I'm a huge surf music fan, and picking a single surf song to bring to this episode is almost an impossible task. But if I had to pick the best living surf band, it would be Lost Stray Jackets. I think their best album is Viva, and my favorite song on that album is Pacifica.
0: I love when patrons bring in uh, picks uh, th- of, of, th- of bands or artists that I've heard of but never really paid attention to before, and they shed light on them, which is what happened right here with Mr. Corey Dubrowa. Uh, he does that here and brings something that I've heard. I know a lot of people like, uh, like this guy, but I never dove in, and uh, it's, it's great. So uh, take it away, Corey.
7: Hey, Rob, and all you Patreons out there, Corey Dubrowa from Berkeley, California here. The instrumental record that got me high was, in its entirety, DJ Shadow's Introducing, which came out in 1996 on the UK label Mo Wax. The record is now thought of as one of the foremost proponents of the so-called trip-hop movement, but it was really assembled from bargain bin records that Shadow, Josh Davis, from Davis, California, had sampled mostly at home on a rudimentary four-track recorder. It's not all instrumentals. My favorite track, Midnight in a Perfect World... The one most people would know, is actually built around sampled spoken word and some female vocals. But this track, called What Does Your Soul Look Like, was the record's first single and kind of captures the vibe of the whole album. And in doing that, really the whole trip-hop era. It's a 90s classic, one that Shadow himself has called a record about self-doubt, low self-esteem, and depression, It's also one that's routinely cited as one of the decade's best and one that would go on to influence an entire genre of plunderphonics artists. Anyway, hope you enjoyed DJ Shadows introducing What Did Your Soul Look Like?
0: Patron Matt Marzullo. Uh, he brings in a tune that I am uh, familiar with, and I listened to this dozens and dozens of times myself when I was a skinny record-buying teen. Uh, me and Matt are probably around the same age, and I also was kind of obsessed with this album. And Matt's going to tell you about it.
8: Hey, Rob. This is Matt. I'm going to introduce the instrumental that got me high. I consider this to be one of the greatest instrumentals from the post-punk era, and I'm talking about Astrodyne by a favorite band of mine called Ultravox. This song is from their 1980 album Vienna, and depending on which version you've got, it's either the opening track or the closing track on side one. The song kicks off with some seemingly free-form piano playing, then things come together around a pretty simple E-D-C chord progression that builds up nicely first to a violin solo and then to a synth solo, both played by the great Billy Curry. This entire album is great, by the way, from start to finish, and somebody really should cover it on a regular episode of That Record Got Me High. But for this episode, we'll stick to this awesome instrumental. Enjoy.
0: matt and now we have this is another band that i've heard of uh many times and i know a lot of my friends really uh really like but i never really dug into myself and uh this is also the first of back-to-back brit picks uh first we have our expat patron
9: steve carroll to start it off so take it away steve hey everyone it's steve carroll hey Rob I imagine you're getting a lot of submissions with a lot of different genres of music for that instrumental got me high I'm I could probably think you've got everything from afro pop to kraut rock at this point so why not a little bit of alt country from the band that arguably defined the g- genre uncle tupelo um, before uh, their third album these guys had done some pretty cool stuff it was kind of garagey alt country kind of rock and for the third album the record company was leaning on them pretty hard to do their best to try and sound a lot more like Nirvana. It was 91, 92. Record companies were doing a lot of that then. And Uncle Tupelo said, you know what, we'll do something completely the opposite and do an acoustic record. And fortunately for them, they were able to enlist the help of Peter Buck to come in and produce the album. And I think that the actually best song on the album is the instrumental. I think it's so gorgeously performed and, and produced and, and mixed. And the different layering of all the acoustic instruments is really, really superb. So whether or not you're a fan of country or... Or, or you don't really know anything about the band, I hope you might take a moment and check out really, really fine tune from Uncle Two Below from their third album, Sandusky. Cheers.
0: You know, I wish I have, I know I have uh, patrons uh, from other countries, and I just, I, I, I wish more of them would participate, because I don't know, I just love the accents, like we have some Australian uh, patrons, come on, someone from Australia, you gotta send in a pic just so uh, we could hear the accent, but this is uh, our second um, Brit Uh Aylesbury, UK resident, brings us a song by a Scottish band with a Canadian sounding name, so, and this is Paul Marfleet. Hi
10: Rob. Paul Marfleet here with my choice of an instrumental that got me high. The track I've chosen is Roy G. Biff by Boards of Canada from their album Music Has a Right to Children. The album, and this track in particular, made a big impression on me when I picked it up in the late 90s. Roy G. Biff hooks you in with that incredibly catchy bassline right from the start. It plays like some long lost TV theme from childhood that's naggingly familiar, but which you can't quite place. It's also one of the few pieces of electronic music that I can't help but sing along to when I hear it. I also like how the track sounds a little wonky and out of phase, like watching some old recording on VHS where the tape has started to degrade. It gives it a bit of an unnerving quality that contrasts with the overall melodic sweetness. Definitely a seminal work in electronic music.
0: Thank you so much, Paul. And now, I, as I mentioned, we had two King Crimson picks. That's another one. And, you know, I will say one thing. Fans of King Crimson are an eclectic bunch. Because Jay Reeve, I, he, I know he likes all different kinds of music, but and he's got the noise label, mutant sounds. But, you know, of course, obviously he's a big King Crimson fan. And uh, let's turn it over to Jay Reeve. Hey, Rob,
11: it's Jay Reeve. And my pick for instrumental uh, songs that got me high is uh, King Crimson's Lark's Tongue and Aspic Parts 1 and 2 off of the uh, 1973 album of the same name. Uh, I mean, I could probably uh, refer to a couple hundred uh, jazz songs or or fusion songs that had a profound effect on me, but um, not quite... As uh, profound as uh, hearing this song when I was at the uh, impressionable age of 17, 18 years old. Uh, 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 Definitely I was stoned when I first heard this, and I didn't know what I was listening to at first. Uh, When you hear that first track with the marimba, the thumb drums, and the uh, thumb pianos playing... And it just starts to come up, come up, and it builds up into that main riff that rips your head off. Uh, just an incredible song. and violins, uh, the textures, the uh, percussion, uh, Bill Bruford and, and Jamie Muir. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the end of that. The rest of the songs really aren't that uh, memorable from that album, but then you get the part two where it's kind of like the reprise and... Uh, uh, the feeling's a lot different, but it's also a lot more progressive and a lot more way ahead of its time with part two with that opening like augmented chord riff. And uh, God, it just uh, it changed me. It honestly changed me as corny and cliche as that is, uh, this album definitely changed a trajectory of how music is performed and exactly what it's meant to do.
0: some people, uh, when you send in, you could send me instructions. Some people do send me instructions. Oh, you should start the song around here that. But when they don't, I just kind of I'm left on my own devices, especially if it's a long song. I got to just kind of pick where I'm going to dive into the song at. But uh, just remember, if you send in a pick, you could always give me a uh, time stamp of when you think I should start it, uh, you know. Don't get too picky on me, but don't say, oh, you have to you have to play three minutes of the song because I'm not going to do that, but you know. Uh, now we have patron and friend Todd Nolan. And I will, as you probably know by now, Todd Nolan is no shrinking violent. Uh, no shrinking violent. Uh, he probably should have his own podcast of his own, I think. Because uh, obviously he likes to talk and he once again, but he always brings deep knowledge, likes to bring the deep knowledge and full disclosure. I did edit his submission a little, down a little bit because it was, it was just too long. It was way too long. And uh, I like to keep things moving and uh, I don't want the episode to be two hours long. So I did, but it's still great. Uh, so let's hear what Todd has to say.
12: Hey there, wordless motherfuckers. It's me, Todd Nolan, your arch nemesis from Nashville, Tennessee. As a former frontman for a couple of South Florida bands, I revel in the fact that musicians occasionally like to go off on a space jam for a bit, to give the lead singer time to catch his, her, or their breath, and perhaps enjoy a beer or well-needed shot before the next singable ditty. And as a listener, it gives the mind time to take a short or sometimes unusually long journey out into the ether before heading back into the fray of lyrical composition. Sure, there are full-on genres of bands that swim only in the waters of the purely instrumental, like various forms of jazz, new age, surf, classical, or even some of that absolutely horrific jam band nonsense. But I wanted to choose a band that, although most of the songs were lyrically pretty heavy, really enjoyed to dip a big toe into the lyric-free zone. In fact, this band enjoyed doing instrumental music so much that they formed an entirely different project just to highlight these songs. That's why for this episode, I chose the song Keylumbo, by the band Steroid Maximus as the instrumental song that got me high. Steroid Maximus was just one of the multitude of side projects spearheaded by the Australian composer J.G. Thurwell, most famously known for his main band, Fetus, which was also notoriously known as Scraping Fetus Off The Wheel or You've Got Fetus On Your Breath, amongst others. In fact, Thurwell had so many band names and variations of his own name that it all pretty much changes entirely from album to album. The song Kilumbo was released on the album of the same name back in 1991 on Big Cat Records. After releasing his fetus album Thaw, Thurwell decided that far too many instrumental songs were making their way onto his fetus albums. So he decided to create an entirely different project that would highlight these compositions, and thus, Steroid Maximus was born. It was an amalgamation of big band, exotica, spy themes, experimental jazz, electronic industrial, and deeply rooted soundtrack compositions. And as a longtime fan of Fetus, Quilombo stood out amongst all the others as a masterpiece of his most sinister, jazzy side. It felt dangerous, exotic, and sexy as fuck. The song was a collaboration between Thurwell and his obviously-influenced bastard son of Fetus, Raymond Watts, also known as Pig, who was also an early member of the band KMFTM. Quilombo translates in Portuguese as War Camp, and refers to Brazilian settlements formed by escaped African slaves. They were located in inaccessible areas of Brazil, inhabited by around a hundred people and survived mostly off of farming and raiding of other villages. These villages were a place where escaped slaves could freely practice banned religions with African roots carried out through music and dance. Although they did not own their own land, quilombos inhabit around 60% of the Amazon. And at one time, the word quilombo in Spanish was also used to mean brothel or house of ill repute. You can feel the intensity of conflict within the notes of the song, and whichever narrative you choose, its story will not end well for whomever is involved. So for now, let's shut our fucking mouths and dip our gondwana-land toes into the deep, luxurious waters of the fetus-conspired steroid maximus creation, known only as Keylumbo. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Todd. Uh, Now we have another newer patron, Karen Feldner. uh, And Karen brings in some jazz. And she was like, she was like, oh, I'm bringing jazz. But I'm not I'm not even mad. I'm not mad about it, Karen. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I've obviously heard of this gentleman. And I know a lot of my friends love him. And I, you know, I maybe still don't get it. But it's great, Karen. And thank you so much for participating. And let's hand it over to Karen Feldner.
4: Hey, Rob. Um, you'd think me being a singer songwriter, I would have passed on sharing an instrumental, but well, okay. I'm going to admit many times. The last thing I want to listen to is a singing songwriting lament dirge. You know, I'm just like, I just want to hear the opposite. So the first song I thought about was Monk's Straight No Chaser. Uh, I love that it's really hard and fast bebop. I love how Monk sets the head with that angular piano stabs that he plays. Um, when the band they come in to repeat the the head, especially Charlie on sax, it just really drives it. I love it. Um, and then what's even best? It's like then the sax solo comes in, and Monk's just playing his crazy, sparse, and really weird, amazing piano accompaniment. No one else plays like him. So, and definitely the best time to listen to this kind of music night especially if you even have a long drive it's it's there's nothing better
0: Thank you, Karen. And now patron Mick Hans. Mick uh, gave me a couple of alternate choices just in case uh, his first choice was taken already, but it was not taken. And it's a great song that I was actually already familiar with, but I'm happy it wasn't taken because it's great. So let's hand it over to Mick Hans. Mick Hans here. We're going back to the early 80s when horns turned
1: up in all manner of rock music. Ska bands had horns. They were in squonky no-wave bands, garage bands toured with horns, and they were definitely happening with young Brits who wanted to be funky. My favorite example of this aspirational, but credible, funk is Pigbag's anthem, Papa's Got a Brand New Pig Bag. In the US, it reached number 56 on the Billboard dance chart. In the UK, it went to number three on the pop chart, and it also placed in Belgium, Ireland, New Zealand, and the Netherlands. In the decades since, it's popped up in UK pop culture on a regular basis, including a few covers, BBC theme music, and even in goal celebrations. This is a fun one. Hit it, Rob.
0: Thank you, Mick. Uh, and now patron James McLaughlin. Uh, he, says, he says he spared me the jazz, but uh, but he also admits that his pick is a little jazz-adjacent, at least. Uh, but that's fine. Like I said, it's a, I have no problem. It's a cool pick. Uh, nonetheless, something I'd never heard of before, but it's awesome. So let's hand it over to James.
4: Hey, Rob and record fans. This is James in Baltimore. The instrumental track that got me high is Ecoute, from the album Notes with Attachments by Pino Palladino and Blake Mills. This was a tough call for me. There were a lot of instrumental records that I was excited about last year. During my 20 years late Soulquarians deep dive, I discovered Donuts by Jay Dilla and played it to death. I also got a little obsessed with the record Maze of Sounds, a collaboration between a Montenegrin film composer and a russian funk band and i listen to a lot of jazz but i wouldn't do that to you rob
0: so much James uh this by the way I didn't mention it but we did uh, if you notice we got a lot of at first the first couple days after I announced this uh this theme I didn't get too many submissions I said oh shoot am I not gonna get a lot of submissions and then of course I got the most submissions I've ever gotten for an episode so it's great and uh anyone who knows our longtime patron uh guest and friend of the show Steve Michener uh knows that he loves the monochrome set before uh, before starting his daily uh, Steve's Record Picks, uh, the Facebook group, Steve's Record Picks, before that, he used to do Monochrome Set Friday, where he would play, uh, every Friday he would play uh, something by Monochrome Set, and he would share that for a long time, he did that, and that was my first exposure to this great band, so uh, take it away, Steve.
5: Hey, Rob, it's Steve Michener from Portland, Oregon. Thanks for doing these Patreon episodes, they're always a lot of fun, and I particularly like this month's category, the instrumental. I remember as a boy listening to a lot of great instrumental songs on the radio, like Sleepwalk by Santo and Johnny, uh, Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs, and Being Absolutely Blown Away as a Teenager by uh, Frankenstein by Edgar Winter Group. But I didn't choose any of those because my favorite instrumental song is by a band that you know I love, the Monochrome Set. And the song is Lester Leaps In, the B-side to one of their early singles. It's a great example of what you can do with an instrumental. There's uh, the two guitars, are playing melodies and counter melodies, just, just fantastic playing, very inventive. And um, the, the Monochrome Set had a lot of instrumentals. They always managed to put a couple few instrumentals on their albums but uh this one is my favorite and the title is is lester leaps in which is a play on an old jazz standard called lester leaps in but this uh of course is a joke about lester square their guitarist anyway here they are the monochrome set
0: Uh, thank you, as usual. Great pick, and now I will. I'm gonna admit I was getting worried that I wasn't gonna get a submission this time from Jeff uh, Greenstein because Jeff Greenstein always knocks it out of the park, and he's great. And it was getting uh, like at the at the last minute, he uh, he revealed that once again he was overthinking things, which I guess he is want to do. But eventually he settled down, and he just got his pick in under the wire, and I'm happy he did. So let's hand it over to Jeff Greenstein. This is Jeff Greenstein with the instrumental song that got me high. Rob, I really wanted to overthink this one. To hit you with something cool and unexpected, but one band and one song kept pushing its way to the fore, so I'm going to go with it. I bought the best of Booker T and the MGs when I was in college, and I played
13: the hell out of that record. I truly believe they're the best instrumental rock band of all time. Now, we all know Green Onions, right? I sure hope someone picks that. But for me, the
0: standout track is this unbelievably groovy number, which I have used as a
11: temp
7: cue in more pilots than I can count. Let us take a trip to Slim Jenkins' place.
0: so much jeff uh now we have that facebook group got me high administrator and uh amateur guest booker uh the mysteriously named margarita uh because he doesn't want to give his real name but he's we call him margarita and he brings in a song by an artist that i know we both admire greatly uh so take it away mark
2: hey rob it's your favorite alcohol themed burner account margarita I'm keeping up the Garita family tradition of nervously pacing the floor and talking to you about Frank Black. My pick for this episode is Mosh, Don't Pass the Guy off Frank Black's third album, The Cult of Ray. The first two records are highly produced, but on this one and subsequent records, he goes all in on having the tightest touring band possible. Uh, What puts this song over the top for me is the structure of it. Some of the parts repeat that you don't expect to and vice versa. And there's even some parts of the song that are kind of generic, but they're perfect in the context of the song.
0: much margarita not his real name as i mentioned i did get a bunch of last minute submissions uh, including this one from our longtime patron and friend of the show larry smith larry smith puts the lectic in eclectic musical taste because larry likes all different kinds of shit and once again brings something i never heard of and it's awesome so take
13: it away larry hey rob and trgmh listeners this is larry with a submission for that instrumental song got me high When Rob first announced the topic, I commented kind of snarkily cue up the jazz and really didn't have any intentions of bringing a jazz tune to the table. But here we are. Um, My my first inclination was really to to pick one of the great Jeff Beck instrumentals or a Danny Gatton piece, but having already submitted a Danny Gatton and assuming somebody's got to pick a Jeff Beck tune, uh, this is a tune that truly, truly gets me high off an album that I have played to death. It's Snakefinger's Vestal Virgins, the album's Night of Desirable Objects. The song is Move. This is actually a cover of um, the leadoff track on Miles Davis' Birth of Cool, um, but it features absolutely smoking guitar playing, um, a previous podcast guest eric drew feldman uh, plays keyboards on this uh, on the entire album and uh there's just fantastic interplay between uh guitar sax and um i assume it's some kind of a key thing doing uh, like xylophone parts but anyway hope you enjoy move
0: feeling someone was going to choose this controversial and divisive record as a pick uh i have several friends uh that uh, that say they love this record but i also have friends that love the band fish so you know go figure uh i'll play as much as the clip as as i can stand and uh i'll let josh uh metzger fill you in on all the gory details
11: hey rob this is josh metzger again Uh, The instrumental record that got me high was Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. Um, The first time I heard this, it just blew my mind. Uh, Four sides, a double album of nothing but noise, sheer noise and uh, distortion. But uh, yeah, something about it just really...
0: Thank you so much, Josh. Uh, It was great. It probably had to be. It it had to be. Someone had to pick that. So uh, it's fine, Josh. It's fine. Um, Like I said, I know some people love that. So, you know, go figure. Uh, All right. So here we go. Uh, Thanks again. That that was great, right? It's such a great eclectic uh, mixture of songs. And as I said at the beginning, I vacillated between uh, the three songs that I opened the show with before finally just going with my gut and picking a song by a band that most of you uh, who don't live most of you who don't live in south florida probably n- never heard of this band uh, it's an instrumental song Vuscali the porcupine by the legendary hialeah florida band humbert off their album plant the trees closer together uh, humbert formed from the ashes they had a band called i don't know uh, and it came up around the same time as my band, The Holy Terrors, in the early 90s in uh, South Florida. And uh, then they uh, transitioned into a more, uh, I don't know, had like a accordion player mark, uh, which were great. Uh, it was like kind of like a klezmer rock band. And they were great. They were awesome. But uh, the accordion got to be a bit much after a while. But uh, Humbert, uh, they formed, like I said, from the ashes of that. And I can't tell you how many times i've seen humbert perform this song either as a as a slow building set opener or or an epic show-stopping set closer uh, but i will tell you this whether it was in front of a, a loyal crowd of local fans if they played local or i've seen them play this to an audience of people who had no idea who they were it never failed to bring the house down never from the pre-recorded opening of Synth Strings to Fernie Coipel's, uh, uh, however you pronounce his name, uh, the Yearning Clarinet of Fernie, and then Tony Landa's Marching Bass, and then the explosive entrance of Iso Basara's on drums, and then uh, for several years we had the late, great Caesar Lavin uh, on drums. Uh, And then uh, you had Rimsky and then later George Hernandez on uh, tambourine guitar slash guitar. But uh, this is not a guitar heavy song, but it is a weird, wonderful and magnificently uplifting song. Uh, I wish that everyone could experience uh, seeing Humbert perform this at least once because it is magical. Once again, thanks again to the patrons, thanks to the patrons who submitted this and thank you to all all my patrons uh i really appreciate you so much thanks for listening i'm rob elba this is that record got me high i'll see you again soon